just... Neha, what's the tea? You mean the novelty? Welcome to The Novelty, a podcast dedicated to books. Not just the Western male-centric books from the high school lit class. We'll also read books by women, people of color, and from around the world. We'll dive into literary technique and character analysis. But don't worry, we aren't afraid to spill the tea and give our unfiltered opinions. Together, we'll redefine the classics. Will today's pick stand the test of time? Keep listening to find out. Hey everyone, before we start this episode, we just wanted to tell you some exciting news. We have launched a newsletter on Substack. You'll get the newsletter directly in your inbox twice a month with lots of fun content. For today's episode, you'll hear us talk about a lot of themes and cultural phenomena. We didn't have time to get to a lot of the research that we did for this episode, so you can have access to it by subscribing to our newsletter. It will be linked in this episode description. Or you can find it linked in our Instagram at thenovelty.pod. In our upcoming newsletter, we'll be talking about books from other countries that you might not have heard of before. Thank you for supporting us. All right. Season two wrap. Here we are. Here it is. Another season done. How does it feel? I know. It's crazy. It's been almost a year since we started releasing these episodes. Mm -hmm. I'm excited about season three. Me too. But before we get to season three, we get to take this opportunity to talk about all the books that we read in season two and look at it in a big picture, see what themes emerged, what we liked, compare some of the elements of the different books, and just nerd out a little bit. So in hindsight, this theme that we picked this season, which is around the world in 80 books, is definitely a theme that I don't think we did full justice for and want to do again, but pick totally different countries or even pick the same countries, but a different book. Mm -hmm. When you boil down our theme, it is going to be very selective because we only got to do eight countries. We only got to do one book for each of those. We did two for India, but that's obviously not a representation of everything that that country embodies or everything that the world embodies. But looking back on this season around the world in 80 books, was there anything that surprised you about reading books from other countries or authors from different countries? Something surprising. Well, one thing that I didn't expect going into this season is how sad all of the books were. And I don't know if that was just like our fault in picking books that were talking about difficult things. Yeah, I think we did a lot of research before picking the books, definitely, but we did skew towards books that looked interesting to us. Mm -hmm. We didn't necessarily try to cherry pick books that had different themes and different characters and different settings. So there was some overlap for sure. And I think that kind of comes out in some of these Like I noticed when I was going through all the books that we talked about, there were certain themes that emerged as common in multiple books that made it interesting that we read all of them together. So even though there was some overlap and there were some difficult elements, I think it was nice in a way to be able to read those back to back and see how they were treated in in different contexts and by different authors. Mm -hmm. Just going back and looking at a lot of the themes that we talked about this season, I don't know if there's one word that 
encompass all of the themes that we picked, but they were kind of similar, like faith, sacrifice, virtue, pride, destiny. Like these are all themes that are kind of related to each other. Yeah. And I think there's other things like good versus evil, war that have come through in a lot of the books. Um, but before we get into some of these big themes, I wanted to start back at the beginning with the first book that we did, The Murmur of Bees. And one of the things I noticed was until we get to the great Indian novel, almost every book is from the perspective of a child, at least at the beginning. So Mm -hmm. the murmur of bees for the drunken tree and stolen are all from the perspective of children and half of yellow sun and palace evolution start out with the perspective of a child. I thought that was really interesting to think about how that affects storytelling or the way us as readers connect with the story. Mm -hmm. I think one common theme in all of those books is some form of violence or war. Stolen doesn't Mm -hmm. have a war, but there is a lot of violence in the book. And I think it's just an interesting perspective to understand those themes and the thoughts of a child. It almost makes you look at it in a different way or have more sympathy connect more with the main character because you're seeing how this event has affected them as a child and throughout their life as they grow older. Yeah. And I think the other thing about having a book from the perspective of a child is that it makes it easy to make characters a bit more black and white Mm -hmm. because that's kind of the way that children see the world as they're developing. It's harder for them to understand shades of gray. Like I think back to when we first read the Harry Potter series and we were young and the seventh book came out and I don't know if it's a spoiler, but um, it's revealed that Snape is actually a double agent. He's been working with Dumbledore. Mm -hmm. And when that whole backstory gets explained with the always after all this time, I remember we were so attached to Snape and suddenly he became a good guy in our minds and he was just all good. But then growing up and thinking back on it, you realize that he's an extremely complicated character Mm -hmm. and you can't just call him a good guy. Obviously, he was on the quote unquote right side, but that kind of growth and understanding of moral complexity comes with age. And so having the main characters as young children, I think helped in constructing a villain that you could easily dislike as the reader. Yeah. Like in The Murmur of Bees, Anselmo is a clear villain figure. And in Stolen, Robert is the clear villain figure. Um, And also to some degree, Fruit of the Drunken Tree with Pablo Escobar. Mm -hmm. And those three books have different degrees of backstory and explanation for the villains. But the common thing I think is that because it's from the perspective of a child, you can put those characters into that villain bucket. Yeah, that's so true. Especially a murmur of bees. We talked a lot about this in the episode about how we didn't necessarily agree with the fact that Anselmo was being portrayed as the villain. And I think in the other books, it, is possible to somehow sympathize with that villain, especially as the character grows older and their perspectives may change or develop. But in Mm -hmm. Murmur of Bees, that doesn't happen. And I think that was like one of the biggest issues that we had with the book. Yeah. And it made me think about how in all these characters, like what is it that makes a villain or an evil person? Is it their thoughts or their actions? And then that kind of goes back to the question of the importance of intention 
And then the other thing we see, particularly with these characters, and then in some of the other books also, is that villainy is tied to different physical traits. Like Anselmo in The Murmur of Bees is described as being dark and indigenous descent. Robert has a disability, like he is dealing with chronic pain throughout the book. And in the Mahamparath, Dhritarashtra is blind, and that impacts his his fate and his ability to be a ruler. And I don't have a good answer for this, but I just thought it was interesting that that is still being kind of propagated in books that have been published recently even, because there's a lot of cultural background to the fact that like in pop culture, film, books, like disability is tied to evilness. Yeah. Yeah. Like Captain Hook has the hook. And then in a lot of the Disney stories, the evil characters are ugly or old or something. Or scarred. Um, yeah, or scarred, like scar mm-hmm. in Lion King. And it can be really damaging. And I just was surprised that that is being portrayed even now when I would think that there's a little bit more cultural awareness of that. Mm-hmm. I think especially when you're a kid and you see something that's unfamiliar, it makes you feel uncomfortable. And then it's easy for them to portray that person as villainous in some way. Because the books that we have that aren't in the perspective of a child don't have those. Like Pachinko, yeah. Sunja's dad is like considered like this best dad ever and he's thought of very fondly from Sunja and her mom, but he was also disabled in some ways that they didn't portray him as an evil in any way. So I think maybe it's an issue that it is being written in that way and still in some books, but Yeah, and I think the problem comes when it is used to represent like a physical trait is used to represent a personality trait. Mm-hmm. There's this really great essay novel by Susan Sontag called Illnesses Metaphor. And she talks a lot about how common illnesses, in particular AIDS, tuberculosis, and cancer, have in history and popular culture been tied to certain personal or psychological traits. And how using illnesses as metaphors for things can silence and shame patients. So I I like that you pointed out pachinko because it includes an example of disability in just an ordinary person and tuberculosis like, and cancer as well. <laughs> yes, and they and they are not well. That's interesting that you say the tuberculosis because I do see Isak as falling into a little bit of the trap of TB martyrdom mm-hmm. or that kind of personality but yes for the most part all those characters are characters in and of themselves and then they have these illnesses or um physical ailments that they are dealing with and i think it's like you said like with children it can be easy to attribute a certain physical thing to something that you don't understand to something negative i don't think it's something we should be continuing to do yeah i think it's like i don't think it's inherent in children to see something different and immediately be repulsed by it Mm -hmm. i think that's a little bit taught through society and popular culture Mm -hmm. yeah and so pachinko is a great example of how they she didn't do that in her writing she Mm -hmm. did kind of the exact opposite and i feel like usually cancer in books is used as a way to really sympathize and feel emotional about a character and they they give the quote-unquote villain of the story cancer in the book which i don't necessarily think made me feel any any sympathy towards Kohansu after that happened? I was just kind of like, well, you get what you get. But <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. That's mean. But <laughs> but it is kind of like a thing that happens. Mm-hmm. It's not put in as 
a way to tug at heartstrings. Yeah. Or on the other side, it's not put in as a way to offer this character retribution. Yeah. Yeah. The other thing I noticed about this season when we compare it to season one that we did, season one, our theme was the American dream. And almost all the stories in that season were immigrant stories. And it was kind of an emotional reckoning with the immigrant and their new country or their new environment. But this season seems to be like taking a step back and kind of colonizers versus indigenous people Mm -hmm. in some way. And I think the outliers are the last two books. Yeah. Kafka on the Shore and the Luminaries, which are written by countries and peoples who were the colonizers. So that was white people in Australia and New Zealand, and then Japanese were colonizers as well. Mm -hmm. And I think that is partly why that theme doesn't show up in that book. Like, you don't notice a certain thing when you're not being oppressed by it, I guess. Also, of course, it's a product of the way we picked our books. There's obviously books from all over the world that aren't just focusing on the colonizer and the impact of being a colonial entity. But I did think it was interesting to see how that was treated in these different books and the perspective of who was writing it. Mm -hmm. Because we had talked about in The Murmur of Bees, I I don't know the author's ancestry, but the perspective of the book seems to be written from the colonizer. Yeah, it's interesting because the last two books are the books that don't fit in with the rest of our books, even in terms of plot. Mm -hmm. Because Kafka on the Shore is very otherworldly and like fantastical in some ways. And the Luminaries was like a fun little murder mystery that you had to kind of figure out. But the rest of the books were all very intense and difficult reads. I would say, I mean, Luminaries was only difficult because it was long and kind of boring. But the rest, <laughs> but the rest of the books were difficult in the sense where I had to take breaks from reading them because they were affecting me mentally as well. Yeah. And you see a lot of class differences in the first seven books that I didn't really see in Kafka on the Shore or in the Luminaries. Except that in the Luminaries, we talked about this a bit, that there is one Maori character. Mm -hmm. And they actually use the word noble savage in the book, Mm -hmm. which I think has fallen out of favor, thankfully. But it was used throughout history in literature, film, communications. And in a way, it was a kind of propaganda for the colonial powers to kind of keep their subjects in line, yeah. so to speak. So I am glad that it didn't come up in the other books because that was something I had marked at the beginning of the season to pay attention to that theme and if it if it emerged. I don't know how to feel about its reference in the luminaries because I, I think she was trying to portray a historical moment, but then it didn't really get its moment page space. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The, the, the spotlight, it deserved to actually dissect that. Yeah, I think she just needed to include a indigenous character because they're so prominent in New Zealand and he didn't have a story at all. Or whatever story he had was very linear Mm -hmm. of just a revenge plot. Yeah. This theme of reading around the world is like a cheaper version of being well-traveled. Like you don't (laughs) have to go to Japan or Korea to learn about the discrimination and struggles that they faced during the Korean War or the World War. Like, I I went to Japan this year, and I didn't actually see any of that. I think 
I saw a bunch of pachinko parlors and I was like, oh, cool. And I didn't know the story behind them. I didn't know the struggles that people faced behind those doors. And reading about those stories and reading about these books that we picked that kind of give an insight into what the local people in that country have to face still in present day are really important stories that I feel like we should be all reading. Yeah, and even beyond the fact that if you can't travel to a place, you can kind of learn through proxy. Like you said, even if you do travel to a place, you're not going to get the whole story. Mm-hmm. History and these kind of narratives are constructed by people who have biases. Everyone has biases. And so I'm never going to go to England and get any kind of comprehensive history or narrative about about what the colonization of India and other colonial entities was like. Mm-hmm. They're just not going to tell me that. Um, and so reading narratives like this from all kinds of perspectives is important to understand like who's telling the narrative and why and what experiences people have lived through. Yeah. And just with our podcast, our entire podcast is trying to create an inclusive reading list for people that may not have access to it or just don't know where to go or are confused on what to read next. And it's impossible to create that inclusive list if we're only going to be focusing on North American authors. And so I definitely, definitely want to do this season again and pick totally different countries or like I mentioned, same countries, but a different book so that we can continue making sure that we are creating that inclusive list for people who are listening. Yeah. Think of us as your Rick Steves travel guide to different countries (laughs) in book form. I was just thinking like Steve Irwin, just like yeah. trying to discover these new species and like, yeah, that that's us. Imagine us like with a little explorer caps traveling around the world, <laughs> trying to find good books for people. <laughs> with a library card until. <laughs> One of the things that I noticed in this season was that I felt like a lot of the books were written by very skilled authors, mm-hmm. but then for me, the execution went wrong in some way. And I don't know what to make of this because every single book that we read that I didn't necessarily like overall, it was still written by a really skilled author. And there were elements that I thought were done really well. I think that just goes with our specific picks with Half of a Yellow Sun, with Purple Hibiscus and Americana. You said you enjoyed Americana. Mm -hmm. And so I think, I mean, we picked books that are all about intense trauma So obviously that isn't for everyone. And like we mentioned earlier, this trauma was expressed in many different ways. And I think Half of Yellow Sun was the one book that did it in the most grotesque way. And so obviously it's it's a very hard read. Like it wasn't easy Mm -hmm. for me or you to read that book. Yeah, that's a good point about how violence and trauma is treated in these books. Like, because so many of the books we picked have dealt with different kinds of emotional or physical trauma, we've seen a range of how they're treated. And I just thought that was really interesting to think about, like, how do you portray that kind of experience? And is there a certain way that you need to handle it? Because like you said, in Half of the Yellow Sun, it was a little bit too much for us. But I think that's a really interesting thing to look at with these books and especially Mm -hmm. books from different countries. Yeah. It just made me think like, is it hard to find books by authors around the world that aren't 
about trauma because yeah because like i mentioned we picked books that were pretty popular like if you just do a quick google search of like what's a good book to read from an author who's born in columbia fruit of a drunken tree is on that list so we didn't Mm -hmm. really dig that deep into finding books that were like hidden gems and it just made me start thinking about what are books specifically about trauma the ones that are being marketed and promoted to us in bookstores and that's just what we are picking up Mm -hmm. i found a article called the case against the trauma plot by the new yorker and they talk a lot about how trauma is having its like moment in media in all forms of media right now Mm -hmm. and they talk about examples like ted lasso and wandavision and fleabag which are all about trauma but portrayed in different ways like for example in ted lasso it's just about a character that's like living his life but the trauma was the mystery of it and then after you find out what the trauma is it's just him dealing with it and then in wandavision you obviously know the trauma that she's endured already after the last avengers movie and it just shows her ignoring how to fix her issues and the trauma is building and then in fleabag it's a very comical form of how that she deals with her trauma and i think in our season two picks we also picked books that deal with trauma very differently yeah I read the article also. I thought it was really interesting and we'll link it in our notes as well for people Mm -hmm. who are interested. I think she makes a lot of really interesting points. Like one of the things she talks about a little bit later is that with this focus on trauma, you lose a lot of the ambiguity of characters' past and their morality. And that ambiguity helps construct some of the most interesting characters in history. Like, if you look at Shakespeare's plays, a lot of his source texts are very black and white for Hamlet, Macbeth, and a lot of these other famous tragedies. But Shakespeare removes or complicates some of that, and that's what makes those characters so compelling. But I do have to push back on her assertion that it's solely a modern phenomenon. If you think back to a lot of the traditional classics in Western literature, there's so many examples of traumatic experiences being at the forefront or Mm -hmm. being what a character is grappling with. Tess of Duberville's by Thomas Hardy is almost entirely tied. Like Something happens to her at the beginning and the rest of the book is a result and her grappling with what has happened to her. And then if you look at all the books by the Brontes, The Tenant of Wildfell Hall, by Anne Bronte centers a woman who has had past traumatic experiences and that is what colors the rest of the book. And in fact, I think to some degree, almost all of the Bronte novels, there is an important traumatic component. And maybe they didn't use this word for it specifically. And we have different language surrounding psychological components and post-traumatic stress disorder now, but I don't think it's entirely new. I think it's always been a theme of just like what people experience Mm -hmm. and how it can affect a person. And I think that speaks to what we were saying earlier, that it, there's a breadth of ways that it can be included and and written about. And maybe that is something that we're seeing more from authors of color because that's what people want to read to some degree. Yeah, I think the article has this quote. It says, If Greeks invented tragedy, the Romans, the epistle, and the Renaissance, the sonnet, our generation invented a new literature, that of testimony. 
And I agree with you. I don't think this is something new at all. But I will say she talks about how the new literature of testimony includes memoirs, confessional poetry, survivor narratives, and talk shows. And that really got me thinking about what is, when you walk into a bookstore, the books that are on the very first display and like what's popular, what's happening, and what's cool to read right now. I'd say like 80% of those books are memoirs, confessional poetry, survivor narratives, or not talk shows necessarily, but like a celebrity that maybe went through something traumatic and her writing a book about it. Like I think the Mm -hmm. biggest example of what's trending right now is that book called I'm Glad My Mom Died by Janet McCurdy. And just that title is a headliner. Like it just has shock value. Like it just becomes kind of a clickbaity thing that people Mm -hmm. are giving into because they want to know what happened to somebody, even what Ted Lasso, like it's enticing for you to be like, I wonder what happened to him. And so I feel like trauma is being used as a tool to tempt or bring in like curiosity from people. Yeah. It does feel like there is a culture of like trauma voyeurism these days. I mean, Mm -hmm. if you think about like the obsession with true crime and those kind of documentaries and a lot of these memoirs um, from victims of really horrible crimes, I don't know what the appeal is. I think that there is maybe a certain psychological safety that can be achieved in like understanding these experiences in a way where you're still safe so you can mentally work through what's happening without ever being in danger yourself. Mm-hmm. But I I think this is something that's been happening since the mid-20th century. Susan Sontag, who I referenced earlier, she wrote a different essay called Regarding the Pain of Others. And she talks a lot about how um, through photography and different media, we are so focused on viewing suffering. And now in the modern world, there's so many ways in which to do that. And one of the lines from this essay is, It seems that the appetite for pictures showing bodies in pain is as keen almost as the desire for ones that show bodies naked. So she's putting this kind of trauma of suffering voyeurism on the same level of sex cells. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that's an interesting way to look at how it's been commercialized. Yeah. And it's just when we picked these books, we weren't necessarily looking for books that were about difficult topics. Mm -hmm. But it just goes to show that those are the ones that are being marketed to us. And that's why we picked them because we saw an article online or we saw something at a library or we saw something. So these are the books that are being exposed to us because they're about trauma, which is having its moment right now. And it is a way in which authors of color get siloed into writing about certain topics. Yeah. Yeah. Like I just think about black authors or representation of black characters in books. And I definitely don't read as much as I could in terms of like how diverse my reading is, but I just can't think of that many that aren't dealing with or their core struggle is them being tied to certain like racial trauma or something else. And of course that is a core experience of that population, particularly in this country. But when that's all we hear about, then that population just gets put into this one bucket. Mm -hmm. For example, like with we kind of did the Night Watchmen last season, which does talk about the difficulties that they went through. Not saying that it wasn't like a hard book to read. The 
struggles of indigenous people wasn't the main plot of the story. There was a lot of mm-hmm. things happening. And I guess that's mm-hmm. what I'm kind of looking for in books that are by minority authors is something that kind of talks about their culture, or talks about like their tradition or something that makes me understand them more, but not with the context of trauma being the main thing that they're talking about. Yeah, basically giving them the dignity of being a whole person yeah. and being able to experience joy and sadness and struggles and accomplishments. Mm-hmm. There is this anthology of essays called Letters to a Writer of Color, and it is compiled by two South Asian authors, Deepa Anapara, she's from India, and Taimur Sumru, who's from Pakistan. And they've compiled this book of essays from different authors of color about their process and writing and how in the Western tradition, they get stuck to a certain way of construction that may not feel true to them. And then when they try to write outside of that, it's dismissed or not picked up as something important. Mm -hmm. And one of the essays in this book is by Ingrid Rojas Contreras. And the essay is called On Trauma. So that's very relevant to the discussion we're having. She talked about this issue of like how people of color are elevated for the trauma that they've experienced. When she finally was comfortable to tell somebody what she had experienced in Colombia, she told her professor and the professor responded with, wow, you're sitting on a gold mine. And just to like tell somebody and and trust in them, these experiences that you went through and then for them to reduce it to this kind of commercial. Like, oh, you can make so much money off of telling people the story. Yeah, and in this essay, she's very aware of the fact that this is the kind of story people wanted from her and how different material can feel gratuitous and exploitative or it could be really powerful and emotional depending on how it's told and who's telling it. And I think in the books that we did, Pachinko and Fruit of the Drunken Tree, to me, are examples of how it was not exploitative or Mm -hmm. voyeuristic and told with a lot of dignity. On the other hand, Half of a Yellow Sun and Kafka on the Shore – felt exploitative to me. It's just interesting because I don't want to be dismissive of the trauma that these people face. Obviously, when we're picking books from different countries, we want to do that because we want to learn about what these countries and their cultures and their traditions. And saying like, oh, I don't want a book about the trauma that the Koreans faced in Japan during the Korean War. It seems dismissive and not the best attitude to have going into that. But at the same time, it's like, that's not what it's all about. Like, there's so much more than just the trauma that these characters went through during that time. And it's just, it seems kind of silly to say, but I almost want, like, a beach read version of this season. (laughs) I think Kafka on the Shore might be that kind of book. Yeah, yeah. And maybe to some degree, Palace of Illusions. I think there are Mm -hmm. some difficult elements in the book, but because it is based on this historical epic and the book itself is imaginative, it feels a little bit more removed and kind of fantastical. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. So since this is not one of our usual episodes, we don't exactly have a shelf discovery, but we did want to share some of the books that we had looked into that we just didn't have time to devote to in this season, but would be great books to pick up. One of the countries that we considered for this season was Mexico. And we were looking into two books from this country. The first one being Like Water for Chocolate by Laura Esquivel. And the second one being Sea Monsters by Chloe Arigis. 
Like Water for Chocolate is a novel that follows the story of a young woman named Tita who longs for her beloved Pedro, but can never have him because of her mother's upholding of the family tradition that the youngest daughter cannot marry, but instead must take care of the mother until she dies. Tita's only able to express herself when she cooks. I think this would have been maybe a good example of what we were just talking about, of a book that Mm -hmm. kind of talks about tradition and culture, but not with the subtext of war that's going on. Mm -hmm. And Sea Monsters is about a coming-of-age story set in the 1980s Mexico, focuses on small, surreal mysteries that shape our lives. Luisa longs to escape the detachment and boredom of everyday life with the new love interest, Tomas, offers to take her to Oaxaca coast, and she goes with barely a second thought. For New Zealand, the other book that we were considering was The Bone People by Carrie Holm, and this was uh, awarded the Booker Prize, and it talks about the complicated relationships between three outcasts of mixed European and Maori heritage. So it's a mystery, a love story, and an exploration of this zone where indigenous and European cultures meet and clash and sometimes meld. So I think this book probably would have fit with some of the other books we did in this Mm -hmm. season, but I think it focuses on colonial legacy, which is something that we did already talk about, obviously not in a New Zealand context. Yeah. So for our Africa pick, another one that we were considering was a book centered in South Africa called Cry, Beloved Country by Alan Patton. It is set in the prelude to apartheid in South Africa. It follows a black village priest and a white farmer who must deal with the news of a murder. And the reason why we didn't pick this book is because even though it was set in South Africa, the author was a white South African. And we were trying to pick books by black authors. Um, Our other option for Korea was Beasts of a Little Land by Juhaya Kim. It's a story of love, war, and redemption set against the backdrop of the Korean independence movement. And at a microscopic level, it follows the fates of a young girl who is sold to a courtesan school and the poor son of a hunter. I do want to read this one. The cover looks really pretty also, which is my weakness. (laughs) Yeah, and in in Pachinko Part 2, our discussion with Books and Boba, Rira talked about a new book by Min Jin Lee as well. And that's definitely another book that I'm adding to my TBR. Mm-hmm. So what was your, not necessarily your favorite book, but your favorite part of this season? My favorite part of the season was reading books that I think I just wouldn't have picked up outside of this exercise, deciding that we were going to read books from different countries and trying to hit all the continents made us consider certain books that I maybe wouldn't have had time to get around to. And so that I really enjoyed. For me, I thoroughly enjoyed having guests for this season. Having Brown Girl Bookshelf and Books and Boba join in on our discussion was super fun. Involving different people in our discussions just makes me want to broaden and expand our reading lists and our discussions as much as possible because there's so much more that we learned in just those two discussions than we would have just talking to each other. And what I walked away from this season probably is to visit the translated book section and bookstores more often. Uh, I think, like you said, that was one of the great parts of this podcast and reading together and talking to other people is, is this community 
that we get to discuss with and kind of learn mm-hmm. more about. So yeah, I'm excited to read more and talk to other people about books. Yeah. I'm also like biting my tongue so hard right now to not say something about our season three books because a lot of what we talk about kind of in some ways relate to what we're going to be doing in season three just in terms of evolving and changing. But if you want to know more about season three, you guys are just going to have to follow us on Instagram at the novelty.pod. Yeah, we're going to be on break and we will return back with a whole new theme, a whole new season all new books to read, and the theme may surprise you. Before we go, we are going to have a bonus episode in which we will talk about a lot of the books we've read outside of the podcast this year, Um, some of the more buzzy books that you may have seen on Instagram, TikTok, at the front of the bookstores, and we will give our honest reviews on those. So if you are wondering what's worth reading from the past couple years of popular books, tune into our bonus episode which will come out next all right hope you guys enjoyed season two see you next time thanks for listening to the novelty we are your hosts neha and shruti and our music is created by apurva koti we love to hear from you to send us book recommendations episode commentary or even critical feedback you can find us on instagram at the novelty.pod or email us at the novelty.pod at gmail.com until next time happy reading